0: hello and welcome to the part podcast today we are talking about something that has remained a perpetual hot topic ever since i started in this business in the year 2000 and that would be how do you become an automotive journalist and what the job entails. Before we go into that, let's quickly clear up the basics. Most organizations cannot hire you if you're not a graduate. So you do need to graduate from college and that means a bachelor's degree. Do you really need an automotive journalism or a journalism degree? Not so much. Uh, When I started out, my first editor, he was a lawyer. The guy who worked under him, he was a Originally from the advertising world, Uh, I came from a town planning background. I'm a qualified town planner, although I've never practiced uh, what I learned in college, at least in terms of town planning. So it's a mixed pot of the kind of people who work together in terms of where they've come from. But what I think unifies the field of automotive journalism, obviously, is the passion for automobiles and our willingness to work in that field and learn on the job whatever skills we are missing from whatever we were taught in college. So you will need to graduate. So if you've just finished class 12 and you think, should you be starting automotive journalism right now, you could start about A a blog or a YouTube channel or something like that for yourself, but can you really be hired by an organization? Not so much. An extension to that is uh, can you freelance with uh, people who do automotive journalism? Can you be a freelancer? Uh, It's really difficult to do because, in my experience, the nature of the job is so hectic, and we'll discuss that in detail. That usually the freelance kind of idea doesn't cut it. It has been used by organizations in periods where they were short of money or short of resources. So, for example, if you are relatively half decent in discussing vehicles, and you're in Delhi and we don't have anyone, we might ask you to help us out there. But usually freelancers are not really how this business work, except in the newspaper side of things, where there are people who are columnists or reviewers who work on a freelance basis. But outside of that, it's a really difficult profession to do as a part time thing, at least in the formal structure of big brands with uh, big teams, uh, people like Power Rift or the magazines or whoever, they tend not to work with freelancers. Then comes the question of if you are 32, 34, 40 years old and can you switch careers in terms of qualification, like I said, you just need a bachelor's degree, so you are qualified to do this. But the question is, how strong is your commitment to do this? Because you cannot come in having no uh, experience in automotive journalism, expect us to hire you and then be able to match your salary, which by the time you're 35, 38 will be kind of substantial. That is an unreasonable expectation, and if you're willing to work with that, it makes our lives easier. But you also have to remember that as an employer, you have to also think about things like, okay, if he's forty years old and he has a little bit of a family, let's say one child, wife, uh, and you take a massive cut in the salary, is it something that is fair to you and makes the job kind of difficult? So there aren't really any rational barriers as to why you shouldn't be able to switch careers to automotive journalism later in your life, but the practicalities of it are a little bit more complicated than that. And in that sense, I've find very, very few examples of people who are halfway through their careers want to switch to automotive journalism and find it easy to do it. Again, it's not impossible if you really, really want it, but it's really difficult for an employer to think about your well-being and say, how do I justify the extremely low salary I'm giving you? And if a 20 year old earns that salary, it's all right. But if a 40 year old earns a similar salary, the the way the thing progresses as time passes makes it a little bit more complicated. So in terms of qualifications, that's the basics. You just need to have a bachelor's degree of some sort. But what do you really need to know before you become an automotive journalism? I think the biggest thing you need to know is how strong is your commitment to the field? Are you willing to do this for the rest of your life? If you say yes to that answer, I think you're choosing well because emotionally, it is perhaps the most satisfying job you'll ever do. And if you can hear that in the background, the construction site, uh, they now have 14 people. Since we're 32 years, they're going to be banging away for the next 23 years. I'm really happy about the 10 years or 9 years we've just saved. So what I was saying is that, The commitment has to be a lifelong commitment because as I describe the nature of the job, it's not an easy job to do. It looks very glamorous from the outside. You think, hey, they come to office, they're giving keys to Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Ducatis, Aprilias. And that's what they do with their living. And that's not actually accurate. And we'll come to that. So can you use automotive journalism as your entire career? Yes, we are examples of it. But is it something that is as easy and as glamorous as it sounds? It's not. Okay, the first thing that you need to understand about journalism in general, in Indian automotive journalism to be specific, is that it doesn't pay very well. And I'm not saying that you're going to go hungry, although I have been through that phase also. But I'm going to say that if you compare your salary with your friends, three years out of college, five years out of college, 10 years out of college, 20 years out of college, the journalists in this group will always have some of the lowest salaries in this group. So you will earn a lot more money if you, I don't know, do an MBA and join a multinational company or uh, fly aircraft or any of these professions. You will never make that kind of money with an automotive journalism career. Is it uncomfortable to live? In that situation, well, if you are in an environment where you're constantly comparing yourself to other people and where they're at in their lives, yes, it will be uncomfortable. On the other hand, you will probably be happier at your work than them because you are doing what you wanted to do in the first place. And that's why I continue to say that automotive journalism isn't perfect. Okay, The salaries are low, the workload is impossibly high. Uh, you do have to spend a lot of time outside and we'll talk about that also. But the fact of the matter is, the happiness that you get from being able to do something that you'd wake up to do anyway, is just such an amazing feeling that I would not trade it for the world. I've been in this business now for literally 20 years, exactly 20 years almost. And I would not trade in a thing. All the difficult times we've had, all the times I've hadn't had a meal, all the bikes I've craved for, all the bikes I've eventually got, all the bikes I've written, all the stories I've written, all the feedback I've got from you guys, all of it is part of that journey and I would not change it at all. But... I also understand that the world has changed. Okay, Today, automotive journalism, especially in the where the written word is concerned, especially in the website world, is heavily, heavily directed by what Google wants today. So if Google says, uh, I don't know, conical hats in Maruti Swifts are trending, I promise you, you'll come to work and somebody from your web team will insist that you write an ha- article about how conical hats and Swifts go so well together. And it's unfortunate, but it's also an essential uh, requirement today because you have to understand that most of what you see online is being consumed by you for free and the revenues that the organizations get back from it are very, very minimal. And that means there has to be a way for them to make some money. And if you're not clicking on the ads and helping out, then the fact of the matter is the kind of quality content that they can create goes for a toss. So then you fall into the trap of saying this is what we do well and we will continue to do this. But there is an extremely large volume of work that we have to do to keep Google happy so that it continues to direct traffic onto the website. And the traffic is super important because it unlocks other parts of the revenue stream like you could be making deals for advertising directly with somebody who's advertising with you rather than just through Google who obviously takes a cut when they put an ad on your website. So it gets complicated and it's a really, really hard job. But that's where automotive journalism has always begun. So you have to get over that hump. So when I joined uh, in the year 2000, I was at a magazine called Business Standard Motoring, which is now called Motoring World. The first jobs are always the basic jobs. It's it's managing the technical specification spreadsheets. uh, It's managing basic articles you're not going to get to test immediately. And I think I was privileged in the sense that when I joined, there weren't that many people in the business. It was very easy for me to get into testing. But today it's a more established business with a lot of senior people in there and you're not going to get the opportunity to test something immediately. Don't get me wrong. We're not trying to snuff your passion out. We are trying to encourage you, but you have to understand that there is a ladder to this, right? So if you come into an automotive journalism profession today and say that I want to test the new Audi RS7, chances are that they will say no. Even if your argument is, hey, we drive a Q5 at home, the answer is still no, because somebody else is responsible for the well-being of that car. And until we establish the attitude with which you will approach the RS7, is it an attitude of maturity and control? Or is it going to be complete nonsense? And therefore, a lot of phone calls will have to happen apologizing for what happened after that. That is the primary consideration. And in my experience in 20 years it's the guys who approach each vehicle maturely with um, with respect and respect means Maruti 800 treated the same way as a Mercedes-Benz E-Class because they talk to a different audience when they are purchased but to a tester they are the same thing they have the same characteristics they have right quality they have handling they have balance they have fitness for purpose which is I paid three lakh rupees for the uh, 800 what does it do for that money versus I paid 30 lakh rupees for the or whatever 50 lakh rupees for the E-Class and what does that do Is the same for motorcycles as well. If I were to meet an intern who says that's a splendor, I don't want to ride it but he's really excited about an R1, that's a huge negative uh, in my book because to me all two-wheelers, all cars, whatever we do deserve the same amount of respect as testers. I agree that an R1 will be a far more emotive experience than a splendor but that gives you no right to say that can I avoid riding the 100cc bike because that's where the process of understanding motorcycles begins and believe me. The simplest motorcycles, the basic 100cc motorcycle that needs to deliver 100 kilometers to the litre last 3 million years, uh, no matter what you do and almost irregardless of what goes into the fuel tank on a daily basis, is as hard to engineer as a really complicated machine with titanium everywhere. You have to be able to understand that balance and the guys who understand that balance are the people who grow. So today, when you join the business, chances are you will be put to do what we all call Gadha Majuri, which is the basic work of keeping Google happy. It's not great work. It's not glamorous, but the guys who progress figure out how to make that work as little as possible in terms of what it consumes of your day, you will be given a target like Come to office and file 10 stories every day and if you can finish your 10 stories say by lunch then in theory you have the afternoon off to do something else which could be a passion project which could be writing feature articles which allow you to explore your language uh, which could be recording some videos which could be playing with your social media which could be working on your own youtube channel or other ways to build your skills or just helping out in the office and letting people know you're so efficient that you've already finished the assigned work and you're willing to take on more and push harder okay I empathize with that character particularly because this is who I've been from school. I was the guy who raised his hand when anybody said what? And before I knew what I was volunteering for, my hand would be up. It did cause problems. I didn't end up in projects that I didn't really want to do, but it also stood me in in, in positive because at the end I had a lot more skills than some of my friends because I just said yes, been forced to go through a project that I didn't really want to do. But in the process you pick up a few things. Okay, so automotive journalism is hard to get into because we see a lack of commitment from most of the new people who show up. Most of the guys who intern at PowerDrift don't actually finish their internships. They think that the workload is too hard and the specification and the rigor of the job is too hard for them to keep up with and then they move on to other things. I'm not proud of this. I'm not proud of the fact that the interns can't keep up, but I am very, very sure that this is an essential part of the job okay so uh, we get often this question about you know the privileges of being an automotive journalist you guys get to travel abroad well, yes, because it's cheaper to transport human beings to vehicles than vehicles to human beings in the numbers that are required to do a successful commercial launch of a product. So if, if uh, for example, if Jaguar is going to have to fly 800 F-paces to reach F- uh, 800 journalists in various parts of the country, they go bankrupt by the end of that month. It is much cheaper to figure out how to get 800 journalists to say 150 cars in one location and then do that for two weeks and have everybody drive that car. That's just how launches work. But you think that the fact that some, especially the car guys get to fly business class everywhere is a privilege think about it like this in the year 2019, I use an app, app in the air and I was in the top 1000 travelers in the world. Okay, that's how much I flew. And you, you think that that's privilege. But I think that many hours I wasted packing and unpacking, getting to airports and getting out of airports, standing in immigration queues, standing in security queues, singing, sitting in random airports all over this earth waiting for my next flight, sitting on 8, 8, 10, 10, 20, 20 hour flights, just trying to get somewhere to try and do a story and then have to fight all that exhaustion, finish that story, come back home, and then you don't get a Break because you're jet lag you still have to go back to work and do it and now you do this 5 eight 10 20 times a month it's exhausting they don't pay you extra to do this the pilots get paid extra to fly but we don't you know so it's not an easy job that this behind the scenes of it is it looks like you're out you know riding the fastest things but the fact of the matter is a 10 minute video, on Power drift will create us five to six days of shooting to do. That's waking up at 3 a.m. every day, going out in the darkness, shooting till there's light, coming back late in the night, eating whatever you can, getting as much sleep as you can and doing it again. Okay, the the dark circles that I'm famous for were not earned uh, by staying up late night and watching movies. They were all earned at work. So automotive journalism as satisfying it is, is also a really hard job and I, I would say the first thing you have to figure out is do you have the discipline and the commitment to make this thing work because the first eight to 10 years in my experience are really hard character forming years. These are years when you will not get a break, you will not drive all the exotic things. You will do basic work, menial work and as your skills grow, you have to prove repeatedly to your editor that you are a skilled professional, you are a learning professional, you are happy to work hard and all the time you're treating your vehicles maturely, okay? So if you had somebody who came in, was extremely extraordinarily skilled but he crashed every third bike that he rode, as an employer, eventually you have to start asking questions because that poor boy is getting hurt repeatedly. A, you are constantly having to call the manufacturers, I'm sorry we damaged one more motorcycle for example. And these are issues that eventually say that, okay, here is an invitation from Ducati to go ride say their MotoGP bike, how can you send that guy, he's crashed, 30% of everything is written. Obviously, there is a problem there and that's what I'm talking about in terms of attitude. So when you come to work, the first thing that nobody wants to know is how much you are already capable of doing. What we want to see is how much are you capable of executing now. Okay, so saying that we have big cars in your house doesn't make any difference to me. We have big cars in the office for the last 20 years. What we'd like to see is how you treat a small car first. Can you treat it carefully or are you going to be frivolous and flippant about it and come back with three sketches and say, yeah, it's just a Maruti. What difference does it make? That's a huge, huge problem. The next question is, uh, we get questions like what is the scope of automotive journalism and how you convince your families and all of this thing. Look. India is tuned to tell people that you need to be a doctor, you need to be an engineer, you need to do an MBA, you need to get, be a consultant, you have need to have a high salary and these are the means by which your success is measured. Automotive journalism unfortunately doesn't fall into this category at all. So there is no way for me to tell you a magic formula where you can go to your family and say, I have discovered that automotive journalism is actually amazing. The only argument that works and it doesn't work for most parents is that I may not be super rich, but I will be comfortable, but I will be so happy that will make every other MBA, doctor, consultant, etc. type look silly, except for the guy who actually wanted to be the consultant, who wanted to be the doctor and who wanted to be the engineer. And to me, if we were a country of people that just did what our passions drove us to do and figured out how to make money from it, we'd be a far superior country. I'm lucky that my parents trusted me to make my decisions. And when I said I'm quitting software and going to automotive journalism, they only said, had they only asked Had I done my research and whether I was absolutely sure that this is what I wanted to do. Once I convinced them that, yes, I had thought this through and this is what I wanted to do, there were no other restrictions from the family. But it comes from a place where my father and my mother trust that I am an adult, uh, able to make good decisions and then being able to deal with the consequences as well. Remember, the worry is always about your decision and your consequence and how you'll handle both. Right. Your parents' responsibility is obviously to take care of you as long as they are alive, And when you make a mistake, they are your backup system. That's what the intent is. But the fact of the matter is that it gets simplified down to the level of saying if you're not a doctor or an engineer or an MBA or whatever, you failed. And how you fight that within your family is completely up to you. The next kind of questions that we get, and I have a set of questions here uh, on my laptop just for a reference question that you guys have asked, is about what kind of skills are required to be an automotive journalism. Well, Obviously, the first skill that you will need, and it's more important than anything else, is the ability to articulate. Can you say what you're thinking clearly so that somebody else can hear that information, take it in and understand it in the exact same way that you meant it. Okay. Uh, That is your first skill and I'm not talking about it as a writing skill or a speaking skill or an on-camera presence thing. It's a combination of all of these factors. But the first thing automotive journalists have to do is express themselves, which means when they go out, test something and come back, they have to be able to give you a clear unequivocal picture of what they felt like. Okay. Now that does sound subjective and you can add objectivity to it. So a lot of magazines do point systems to try and give it a little more of an objective flavor and all of that. I firmly believe motorcycles are almost 100% subjective and uh, it takes a really fast, really special car to bring subjective assessment into it. Cars are more objective. But the fact of the matter is the first thing I want to see is your ability to communicate this more than anything else. Uh, That is not a function of language though. As it turns out, historically automotive journalism in India has been conducted in English for most of the time and most of us are aware that the vernacular markets, uh, languages like Hindi for example, uh, the South Indian languages like uh, Kannada or Tamil or Telugu all have uh, Malayalam specifically and they already have Malayalam magazines and Tamil magazines I think. Uh, These languages do have its own audience and yes there is a huge 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 gap for somebody to cater to that audience. There are some people who are doing it really well, but Whereas the English world has a lot of people in it, but that part of the world has a very, very few people in it. So in that sense, it might be easier for you to break into, say, doing Gujarati car reviews or motorcycle reviews than to do English, just in the sense of uh, the Gujarati automotive journalism world is a little bit more Wild Wild West uh, than the English world is. So there are fewer rules and therefore there are fewer channels through which you have to maneuver to become successful. What can you do? The amazing thing about the internet today is that automotive journalism become a lot more democratic than it used to be when we started out. Nobody's stopping you from reviewing cars. Now, I do understand that if you have your own YouTube channel or blog or vlog or whatever you want to call it today, it can be really difficult to get vehicles. Yes, and that's a challenge that you have to work with. When Even a magazine starts out today, the first few months are a challenge while automotive manufacturers accept your stature and then are willing to give you vehicles and you will never be number one on that list because there's an established order of things. So the top two or three brands will obviously get their vehicles first because they have the maximum reach and then you might be 38th on the list and by the time your review comes out it may not have uh, any relevance to the audience at large, although you have finished your job in doing a great review. But if you persevere through it and your reviews are good, then eventually you will build up the audience required to say, Hey, that's a great idea. Okay, it's how, for example, Instagram works as well. If you have a really large Instagram account that posts a large volume of content and a large number of people see it and they don't interact with it, it's not often taken very seriously. Whereas if you have a really small following that is heavily engaged with you, answering questions, taking questions from you, and there's a heavy engagement going on, sometimes those smaller accounts outweigh the larger accounts. And in the same way, you have to build that audience. And for that, the most important thing, I believe, is for you to find your voice. And by your voice, I mean. You are giving an opinion of a vehicle, but you are also giving context as to how you think about vehicles. Okay. I've tried from day one to ensure that everybody understands that my preferred motorcycle is small, compact and fast. And by fast, I mean engine as well as handling. Okay. These are the motorcycles I like. So when you make a small, compact, fast moving motorcycle, you tend to appeal more to my subjective sense of what good motorcycles are like. When you make heavy, slow machines that don't turn very fast or whatever, obviously it It's a bigger challenge for me to appreciate what they're for. It's not a skill that you can't learn. But what I'm saying is that context gives people a way of saying, oh, okay, he's saying that this slow-moving motorcycle is also amazing. Must be insane because he doesn't even like those kind of motorcycles. That perspective, I think, is really important. There are also questions about how do you keep the enthusiasm going? Look, if you have to ask that question, you probably don't belong in our profession because the passion is what fuels you waking up every day and going to work. There's nothing that you can do without it. Okay, So every day when you wake up, the excitement level should be sky high saying another day at work, another day to ride motorcycles, another day to drive cars, another day to test something, understand something and be able to evaluate that. If that excitement isn't native to you, you won't last in my profession. I, and there are, a, I think, 18, 20, 30 examples that I have seen over the last 20 years of people who had extreme passions when they joined. And then the passion sort of faded and towards the end they were in the same boat saying, I don't want to, trust, I don't want to test 100cc bike anymore, it's not worth my time it is worth your time, they do deserve the attention and your passion has to carry you into those spaces. So we've talked about how you enter the business and you have to be a graduate, these are the skills that you need. We have questions here about how much knowledge do you need to become an automotive journalism? Well, the more the merrier. Uh, when I joined the business as a town planner, my understanding of automobiles came only from whatever I'd studied, read, and I was interested in it. But after that, the question of what else could you be doing with your time is something that you have to answer. Do you really need to know how an engine works? Mm, I think you can get away without it, but will it help you if you knew how an engine worked? Obviously it would, right? Would it help if you knew how electronic systems on motorcycles or cars were executed? It would help you. Is it essential to the job? No. Will it separate you? and do a men versus boys thing later on? Maybe it does. Can you learn on the job? Yes, you can. There's enough data today on the internet to do it. When we joined in the year 2000, there wasn't. There were like 10 books at uh, BS Motoring or 20 books and whatever was in those books plus whatever I'd purchased was my source of knowledge until the dial-up became a broadband connection and then you had access to the internet. So... There is never enough knowledge and I don't think there is any prerequisite of knowledge that you need to start in the automotive journalism but if you're not bringing knowledge, bring the ability to learn because if you don't bring knowledge and are unwilling to learn then the future is very 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 dim. So we've answered the question of how do you enter. We've answered the question of what do you need to do. We've answered the question about the money and the answer to it is you will never have as much money as your friends who are doing other lucrative things like being engineers, MBAs, uh, assuming they're good at their jobs, consultants, pilots, etc. You will not have that kind of money. Will you have enough money? Yes. Uh, Will it become a comfortable living at some point? Yes. Will it be immediately? Absolutely not. Journalism in India is not a well-paying business. You have to be aware of it before you choose. You choose automotive journalism for the satisfaction it brings, not for the money it gives you. What kind of job is it? It's a hard grinding job outside of the testing of vehicles because there's a lot of background work that happens for everything that you do. There's a whole bunch of phone calls to organize everything that you will test. At uh, Powdered, before we go for a shoot there's a whole bunch of process that we go through in terms of organizing what kind of story would we like to do with this vehicle? What kind of places do we need to take it to, to execute that story? How many people will be required to do this? And then there's the process after you finish testing which is still inside the office where you have to sit with somebody who's going to edit your video and make you look great to help them out and then there are other processes that go before it releases and after the releases the comments and the feedback that we get from you and here let me just uh, say that uh, negativity is the easiest thing to express on the internet and one of the things I'm so grateful for at PowerDrift is the fact that you guys take the time to come watch the videos and tell us how what how we've done and usually there is some negative commentary and that always helps us improve but what I'm really happy about is that when you love it you let us know. The biggest problem I think with the internet is when people like something they don't let the creators know that they like it and I wish that that balance would change and you guys are at the forefront of that and thank you so much for doing that. The final question that I would like to ask uh, answer are there are two or three questions. The first is a huge section on bias and how do you deal with bias. Well I would say first of all that the guys who are using a language that suggests that everybody is corrupt, you guys need to stop watching at least my work, if not PowerDrift's work, because if we were corrupt, then we would not be able to say these things to you. I've spent my entire career trying to be as honest as possible. I see the same values reflected in PowerDrift, which is why I would be willing to work here. But if you don't believe that that's fundamentally true and you've reached the point of cynicism where you believe that everybody is lying to you and there is an ulterior motive for everything, maybe you need help. I don't know, but not everybody in our business is corrupt, just like not everybody is corrupt in the government or not everybody is corrupt in the bureaucracy. It's just not true. Okay, there is a bell curve and if the largest part of the bell curve is full of corrupt people, then at the edge there will be a few people who are not and I'm very happy to say that I'm definitely a part of that crowd, okay. Does that mean that there are no corrupt journalists? Absolutely not. There are corrupt people in every business. How do you identify them? That's your problem. You have to spend time figuring out how much you should value an opinion based on who's offering it. If you think the guy is corrupt, then you should not be listening to his opinion. You should not be giving him the time of the day. And in the journalism business, at least that's the easiest thing to do because my willingness to talk to you and the authority of that voice is partly direct from the fact that you are willing to listen to it. If you think I'm corrupt, you should just stop listening. And if you start ignoring a corrupt journalist and he doesn't eventually have an audience who's willing to read him or watch him, he has no legs to stand on and the corruption ends there. Why would a... Why would a automotive manufacturer for example abet corruption and I'm not saying they all do. I'm saying why would they abet corruption in a case where they gain no benefit from it. Okay, so you think that you know it's like oh you guys fly business class everywhere so you have to write positive reviews for vehicles. That's just not true. We didn't ask for the business class tickets. Okay, first of all. Second, if you're traveling 5, 8 times, ten, 10 times a month, maybe business class is the only way that you can safely say this person will arrive and be physically in a state to test that vehicle. He, This person should not arrive just so exhausted that he causes a crash there or can't write a story or can't film a video. What would be the point of doing that? Okay, so the idea that these are connected to each other where the access to a globally exotic location is automatically the guarantee of a positive review. No it's not. I am. Most of us are there only for the vehicle and the qualities of that vehicle and we've come back really upset from really really great trips because after all of this the video footage that the manufacturer offered to shoot turned out to be complete crap. It's something that we can't air. And then what do you do? You spent all that time and that's what I regret, not the fact that I went there, not this whole idea that oh they flew you there so you have to do a story. All of this is irrelevant. The most important thing is always going to be the vehicle and obviously this is a personal choice. There are journalists who feel this kind of strongly about it but there are others who may not and it's a spectrum. Your job as a The thinking person consuming this content is also to be able to evaluate saying when this guy talks content is he telling the truth is he telling me lies or is this some colored version of events and then you choose what you want to do with that information. If you think a person is corrupt stop just stop just stop following them it does you don't need to do it at all. So, I would say that most of the guys that I deal with, people like Karthikeya Singhi at and his team, all the people at ParDrift, most of the people we've dealt with in, in my career, they've been straightforward, honest people trying to do an honest day's job while every day facing somebody who comes up to say, You really seem to like that vehicle, what did they give you? They didn't, they just made a good car which appealed, or a bike which appealed to my senses. It doesn't color my opinion, but the fact of the matter is, if a vehicle excites you, and you can't transfer that information to your reader without them thinking that oh my god look at the excitement he must be biased well you're missing out because if i can't tell you for for example that riding the tono was a life changing experience for me without aprile crediting my bank account with something then obviously something's been lost in translation Honesty and integrity is the core of our business. Does everybody stick to it? No, I'm saying outright. No, no, it's not true. But the guys who are honest are 100% ethical people. And if they were to join politics, everything would change. It's just that we are so involved with doing the things we love, which is automobiles, that this is where we are the best at it. You would not be good in something else. Okay, Uh, we've got some. Um, Miscellaneous questions, I've already talked about qualification, we've talked about the money, we've talked about what the job feels like, Uh, we've talked about bias, Uh, we've talked about articulation, let me quickly take the miscellaneous questions. Why are the jobs concentrated in Mumbai and Pune only? Well, primarily because this is where those businesses are located. So naturally, most of the jobs go there. It's not true anymore. That's how it began in the early 2000s. But today, Delhi has publishing houses uh, and video houses that uh, produce content. Um, I think Tamil Nadu has them. um, um, Kerala has them. So there are now pockets of automotive journalism all over the country. But yes, the largest, most traditional concentration is in the Mumbai-Pune area. Uh, Would programming skills be of any use in this field? Uh, Because this person writes scripts. I, I wish I, I could write scripts because I would automate some parts of my work which are a little bit dull and drudgery filled for me. I, I would totally use my skills to do it. But is there a traditional reason why scripting would help somebody who's in the automotive journalism? Not really. Understanding programming can sometimes help you understand how software works uh, on some other complicated electronic things. But outside of that, not really, not so much. What about creating your own app? Yes, automotive journalism is a very democratic place right now. Please go ahead and make your vlog, blog app, uh, website, whatever it is that takes your fancy. Remember like all new ventures, there's a lot of learning involved, there's a lot of struggle before it succeeds and you have to be able to stay the course, okay. If say the app takes 10 years to establish itself, then you can't give up in year seven saying my god I've been working for so long and nothing's coming out of it because that's the nature of the business now. Uh, Mistakes I had made when I first... well. So a lot of what is good journalism is about experience and perspective. Uh, and by, what th- what I mean by that is exactly what I'm about to tell you. There was a Yamaha called the Thunder Ace, which was a litre class four-cylinder motorcycle. It was my first big motorcycle. My friend Prashant Desai let me ride it. Uh, we shot it around the Whirly Sea Face. And the article that I wrote, I don't know if you can find it now, but it, was, it would make you believe that the Thunder Ace was the most intense, amazing motorcycle mankind had ever seen. And uh, three or four years later ridden a few more motorcycles after that, found a review of the Thunder Race and they hated it. The the international media said this was a heavy, slow-moving motorcycle that didn't really want to turn and they couldn't understand it because the Thundercat, which was the 600 cc version, was actually not a bad motorcycle. Uh, And obviously, these are just before the R6 and the R1, so the world was about to change. And uh, I basically let my enthusiasm go and it was an amazingly happy article, although the happiness was more to do with the fact that I rode a big bike rather than the fact that the Thunder Race was a great bike. But I am happy to say that when I look back at my work, I have huge bursts of enthusiasm where I've gone a little bit overboard repeatedly uh, in my excitement about saying what an amazing machine, but I also differ from most testers in the sense that I don't expect all motorcycles to do everything well. I'm actually very happy when a motorcycle takes one aspect of its performance and makes it do such amazing work that the fact that it's not so good at other things doesn't make a difference. To give you an example, I think the uh, 2014 KTM Duke 390 that I have, I love it so much because it's so, so, so angry, energetic and furious and frantic. And it's so powerful in terms of emotions to me that the fact that it's not the most comfortable bike you'd ever read, the suspension's a little bit stiff and all of these kind of things didn't really bother me when I bought one. So the last thing that we're going to talk about has already become a really long uh, podcast we are going to talk about the negatives of uh, automotive journalism and the first negative would obviously be money. Um, You're not going to make as much money as your friends especially if they're doctors, engineers, consultants the usual. Uh, The other con of being an automotive journalism is if you're family oriented and you like to be with your family a lot you're not going to be home a lot. Uh, You're going to be traveling, believe me, a lot, lot, lot more than you think. Uh, There are months, uh, in fact, last year, uh, between August and October, I think, Uh, yeah, October, August, September, October, November, those four months, uh, I was home in my Pune house for, I'm going to say a total of about 18 or 19 days. The rest of the time was spent on the road, out on shoots, in flights, uh, traveling. Uh, That's the nature of the job. I love traveling, so it doesn't really get me down. But I know a lot of journalists who can't handle the jet lag and who'd really rather travel less, especially if the stories are not important. And they would like to assign this work. And sometimes there are seniority issues with that and stuff. But the fact of the matter is, it's a lot of travel and you have to be okay with it. It sounds great when you're, you know, a 24-year-old watching a podcast saying a lot of travel, how can that be a problem? But, you know, when you're taking your 1,000th flight halfway through the year and you know that there's still a 1,200 flights left to go before you finish this year out, the platinum cards from the airlines don't really matter anymore after, at that point. Uh, getting to ride the best motorcycles and cars, but what's the catch? The catch is that every time you test a car or a bike, you expend a little bit of your passion on that experience and you have to find a way to restore that passion, otherwise it runs out. Okay, I've been lucky because I'm pretty single-minded about things that I like. Motorcycles happen to be those things. And I don't seem to have my passions flagged 20 years into the business. But I know a lot of people who struggle with it and who come to a point where they understand the job so well and they do it so well that you can't see that they don't feel as strongly about it anymore. And eventually it shows up in their stories and uh, it's not a good thing to see. So the amount of passion that is required to keep pushing, keep driving yourself to do better work, it's, it's really a task. It's not, not easy dark side of the scene we always see you guys on flashy motorcycles having fun money is an issue because uh, you know I, I might test 20 motorcycles and there are a lot of journalists who are quite happy to say test motorcycles are enough i'm not i would rather own my own machines and buying every new thing that you'd like to uh, add to your garage is a struggle you, you don't really have easy money just floating around saying hey i can just buy one more motorcycle it takes time to do it especially if you're following my process, which is I don't want the discount. I don't want the favors. I want to go to the showroom, book a motorcycle, just like a regular guy. And I would not take a favor for this, which also means that I have to collect all the money required. And uh, in the Ducati's case, it was 20 lakh rupees uh, ultimately. And it's not easy money to come by. It had to take a loan and the loan was not easy to pay off as well. So you have the passion, you're able to express some of it because you get to test it. And then the testing shows you how Vital and powerful and visceral that experience is and then you realize you don't have the money to bring that home and uh, Sometimes I think it's worse that you know the exact shape and color and texture of your dream and realize that it's a difficult dream For you to establish than to say hmm, that sounds like a good motorcycle, but you know nothing about it I think it's easier to live with that than this so it does have emotionally a very powerful uh, Dark side in the sense uh, we all have our own ways of dealing with it Like I said some journalists just say I had the experience, but I don't really think I need to buy this machine, you know, to live out that passion. And I believe on the other side where I say that my ability to tell a big bike owner what happens to his big bike is made powerful by the fact that I have a big bike and I've been through that experience. Whereas somebody else who has not invested that kind of time effort and money into the process has a little bit more of a textbook understanding of that process. I think that's all the questions we've got for this episode of the podcast. Remember the part of podcast airs here on YouTube. Please subscribe if you haven't hit the bell icon so that we can notify you when anything goes up, including the podcast. We are also on all the major audio podcast uh, platforms like Google, like Apple, like anchor.fm or whatever. And please feel free to subscribe there if you prefer that format. Uh, We've talked about a lot of things on the part of podcast. Do write us a comment here and let us know what you'd like us to talk about next uh, we've already done a very very nice series on how to buy a big bike that worked really well for you guys we answered a lot of questions that you guys had in your head we came back and did a live I think we might be doing a live about this stay tuned we'll announce the dates for that uh, this one was totally about automotive journalism and just to give you a quick summary you have to be a graduate to join freelancers and career switchers in the middle uh, freelancers you're in trouble it's really expensive to have freelancers most people don't do it uh, career switches remember you're going from the middle of your profession to the bottom of hours there will be a huge salary drop you have to be okay with it more importantly to convince the magazine the website the blog vlog video guys whoever you have to convince them that you're okay with that drop and your family is okay with that drop that's really the trick uh the skills that you need are primarily articulation and knowledge by articulation i'm saying the ability to express what you're feeling by knowledge i mean the more you know about what's going on under the skin of the vehicle you're testing the better you are at it doesn't require an engineering degree all the time but a uh, brain that is fertile, willing to absorb and willing to listen is a huge, huge place to start. Uh, The profession, it will never pay you as much as competing professions, not in India, not journalism, but you will have enough money to live on. That's not really a challenge. Uh, The final thing, of course, is uh, we talked about bias, where I would try, I would like to believe that most of the people I work with are completely 100% honest people. There are bad eggs, but there are bad eggs in every business. So there's no reason why journalism will not have them. My Suggestion to you is identify who you think is a bad egg and if your data says they're a bad egg, don't argue with that person, just ignore that person. It's a lot more harmful for that person if you ignore them than if you go attack them because everybody attacks everybody on the internet today so nobody really cares. The final thing I would like to say is, 100% best job on earth is automotive journalism if automobiles is what drives you. If cars and motorcycles is what you're dreaming about, there is no job better than this. But it doesn't fall into the traditional idea of a great job which is, I'll be comfortable, I'll go to office and chill and then they'll give me a large salary at the end of the month. These are the three things that automotive journalism doesn't do. What it will give you is all the stuff you've dreamt of and I don't think you can do better than that. Thank you so much for watching. This is the part of podcast.